We are live. We are live. So let, 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 me, let me take over. Hey, so without any further ado, uh, welcome everyone uh, to the Healthy Indoors live show. I'm your host, Bob Carell. I'm the uh, publisher and founder of Healthy Indoors magazine. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, sorry for a little bit of delay here. We had uh, some link issues. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a Thursday. So we're doing a little bit different format than normal today. We're actually going to open up the cameras to our live studio audience in our Zoom meeting uh, early on. Uh, joining us today as our guest slash uh, returning uh, champion uh, co-host is uh, Joe Medosh, who's the healthy building scientist from Hayward Score. He's coming to us live from Loveland, Colorado. So welcome, Joe. Good to see you here. Good to be back. And, and welcome to everybody else. Uh, thanks so much for joining us in our audience. So we're going to switch over to that view, uh, wonderful audience view, which we don't normally do um, uh, right away. And uh, today is really going to be more of an open discussion. So we're looking to get commentary from our live studio audience um, and have, have you all uh, definitely play a part interjecting with us. So um, greetings, greetings. Uh, Joe, what's been going on? It's been a while oh. since you've been on this show. It has been a while, but you know, we actually are doing a once a month after hours show. As a matter of fact, I have my after hours shirt on just so remind people that you can catch us once a month if you want to really want to see what we're like. We don't have to be um, cautious about kind of what we say and uh, bring on some unique guests and talk about stuff as though we were just at a conference or just bumping into you somewhere saying, hey, what's going on? Or, oh my God, can you believe what's what so-and-so is doing or uh, the crazy stuff that's going on with ionization and others. So we're able to talk freely without, you know, feeling as though we need to be cautious about getting uh, sued. So we'll get sued after every Tuesday uh, event. So that's our goal. So, yeah, so that, uh, that alarms me on a couple levels of what you just said, but uh, yeah, so we're not, I just want to clarify that we're not looking to get sued uh, every Wednesday morning. Uh, and what? Also that, was, that was our disclaimer. So, okay. It wasn't a very good disclaimer. Um, so, so anyway, so the, af the after hours show, um, it's available up on the healthyindoors.com site. That's going to be a monthly show, though. So I don't know. Did you clarify that? Yeah, I it's, said monthly. Yeah, yeah one, once a month on, on a Tuesday toward the end of the month um, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, in the U.S. time zone. Uh, we did have two guests from live from Shanghai this past Tuesday for our premiere uh, episode. It was fantastic. Uh, we actually were able to link up <laughs> better than this afternoon which seems odd anyway. Um, so let's, let's, so, uh, so, so there was a connection and why I brought in lawsuits. Okay. And that is that uh, I'm sure uh, many of you get the questions or comments like, Hey, I'm thinking about becoming somebody who does more IAQ stuff, or I'm thinking about becoming a mold tester or inspector, or I'm going to go take that test. And a lot of people come from the energy world. So they're like, yeah, I'm doing energy. And number one question, which we're going to focus on today is like, Oh, can you test my air? Okay, so you're doing energy and they're like, oh, yeah, but I need to get my air tested. So um, I just want to remind people that there are not many people that get sued because they pr uh, did not promise the exact savings from their energy retrofit. Right? That's a very rare thing to get, get sued for. But it is very common to get sued because you decided to make comments about, oh, that's some black mold or whatever kind of issues about mold or asbestos or not. Those are the things that will get you sued. Because there are lawyers who do nothing except work with clients who say that you had false information or you weren't qualified to, uh, to make these kind of comments. 
So I did want to bring that up as there is an issue with uh, oversensitivity and uh, extreme litigation that happens in this industry. And that's why some people are smart to be cautious. Uh, they do get the, the proper training. They have the right credentials. They're using the right equipment. They make sure it's calibrated. So if you're not doing all those things and following the newest industry standards, you better make sure you have good um, disclosures and disclaimers and a good lawyer all in that line. So yeah, and I'd follow up on that. Uh, you know, that's what Joe's re referencing is predominantly the United States, right? Because we're very litigious in, in the U S and, and it's not as much the case in, in other, uh, other countries. And, and we are viewed around the world. So it's, it, it's, it's important to delineate that even in Canada there, you don't, you don't see as many uh, frivolous lawsuits happening as you do here. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been one of, you know, Joe, it's funny you mentioned that because that's been one of my, my big contentions too, because especially mold, you know, the mold industry, um, the, there's no real accepted standards for what passes, what fails, what's good, what's bad. So consultants are making these numbers up every time, right? How many spores per cubic meter, uh, you know, or colony forming units per square inch, you know, like what, what, what justifies passing a project. And so since we're making those numbers up, you know, you're, it's pretty subjective and you're, you're definitely opening yourself up to, I think, larger liability than, a more delineated pass fail, such as asbestos or radon, where, you know, it's four picocuries in the U.S. you're shooting to get below, you know, you, you, you can make it a lot clearer. So I will ask all of you, uh, there's many here in our live studio audience here in the Zoom meeting for our show today. Uh, turn your cameras on if you don't mind, um, because we're going to actually uh, invite you to start getting right into the discussions. Uh, so, Joe, what was your so, first question? Yeah, so the, the most common uh, question that I, I, I come across and from others that call me and they'd be like, hey, uh, so, Joe, my client wants to get their air tested, right? And uh, can, you or can you test my air is a common thing you'll get. The underlying question, what they're really asking is that I think I have mold. Can you test for mold? Okay, so that's, that's really what they're asking, but they, they come across it, but can you test my air? And usually those those of us who are doing a long time, they're like, what do you want me to test it for? Okay, so uh, unless you know there's a uh, water damage or something like that, then you get into this challenge as to uh, people think that it's, uh, and I describe it, it's not a blood test. Like what you do in a house and you're trying to test the air is not a blood test. I can't just say, okay, I'm going to do a sample test here. I'm going to raise my little gadget and say, okay, I tested the air and it tells me everything I need to know. That's really not the reality that sometimes consumers feel that. that you don't have a tricorder. I don't, I, well, actually, I do, actually. I could get it on, yeah. off my shelf. I have a, Actually, a I, I want to buy one just to have it, to, you know, to yeah. wave it around like uh, Sulu. Um, yeah, yeah, I have one on my shelf. It's a, it's a replica, just to clarify. It's not a real one, yeah. But, but, but you know, you, you mentioned, like, you're talking in terms of residential, because there's, there's different, from my experience, right, my 35 years, um, commercial clients, prospective commercial clients and prospective residential consumer type clients tend to ask different questions. And they tend to be getting driven for a different reason, right? The consumer is worried about their own health and their own conditions. And the employer is usually worried about uh, workers' comp or, or litigation. Right, back to litigation. So uh, anyway, so my, that's our first question we wanted to try and put out there. And this is the follow-up is that then what is indoor air quality? What is it that you can or should measure? Um, what are some of the guidelines you might be using? We, we all have our own, like this is the threshold. And uh, what are some other things that you think need to be tested? So if I'm going to, you know, go to my, I usually use my, if I go to my mom's house and I want to test her air. Uh, she says, oh, I don't have any issues with uh, moisture. I don't think I have mold, but I really want to get my air tested. I'm, I'm concerned about my health. I, I watched some show on TV and it says, oh, go get your air tested. Meanwhile, they didn't really give them any uh, 
quantity or quality as to what they should be doing for that. So we will give you some recommendations that are out there for doing VOCs or MVOCs or a variety of other options that are out there. But we're curious as to what anybody here wants to be the first to turn on their mic and be like, okay, so my clients are usually asking or here's my conversation I have with them. And here's some of the tests that I do. So if anybody is brave enough to want to go there, that'd be great. Yeah, what I will do is ask that you uh, go down and in your reactions button those of you in the live studio audience uh there's in the bottom tab it says reactions hit reactions and then you have an opportunity to raise your hand if, if you'd raise your hand that way at least initially we won't be cross-talking on each other and we'll we'll uh, call on you and have you uh throw your uh, two cents in so um well i'll answer while we're waiting for the audience uh somebody from the live audience to uh say something you know um because we get this question all the time joe you know, right. Yeah. Pre-pandemic, right. and we still got them during the pandemic too. I think a lot of people were more attuned to what their, at least their residence environments were, because they spent more time in it. Um, Wait, yeah, Bob, like, you, 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 I, you know, I, I briefly forgot about the pandemic. I know that sounds funny. You briefly forgot you, about it. I briefly did because I'm just talking about just general, uh, you know, conditions. And you're right. People want to be like, can you come and test if I have COVID in my house? Can you test if I have COVID in my air? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right, people yeah, were asking right. that too, right? You know, right, or cl right. clients, you know, wanted wanted to test for COVID in the space, and I go, well, you know, you really need to. Do you have people in the space? It's it's that's the vector is the human. Anyway, uh, Kevin's got Kevin has the first uh, answer. Hey, Kevin. Un unmute and speak away. Are you are you unmuted? Uh, he is You're unmuted. Muted. But, uh, there's a there's a your mic is muted. Nope, still no. still not hearing it's him. A technical change. You're I can see you're unmuted. Hear me now? Yeah, there yes. we go. Thanks. There we Perfect. go. Uh, my apologies. Might have been my headphones. Um, yeah. So uh, I have a question about total volatile measure, measuring total volatile organics versus. Um, for specific VOCs, and if you had a device that that measured total volatile organics, if that's m more or less effective than measuring for the specific, like for you know formaldehyde, for example, as a specific one. Okay, well, first off, formaldehyde is not a VOC, um, so okay. but. Uh, but uh, so TVOC, I'll, I'll jump on it first, Joe, and you can jump in too. So okay. TVOCs typically, if, if you're trying to measure it real time, you're using a thing called a photo ionization detector, a PID. Um, and there's there's various resolutions on what those type of devices can can find. So some of the earlier incarnations of those things, the handheld type instruments for PIDs were parts per million resolution, which really is not a high enough resolution to detect in a office or residential setting. That's, that's the problem. The original devices were designed to go out in industrial settings where they were dealing with parts per million. So understand the OSHA PEL, the permissible exposure limit is 150 parts per million TVOC, right? That, that's, that, you know, that's a pretty high number. I'm gonna tell you 150 PPM TVOC, you're gonna be in a pretty chemically stinky environment if, if you're hitting those thresholds, that's high. So the thing is we're looking at more, you know, full orders of magnitude well below that in most office spaces or in consumer spaces. So you really do need parts per billion resolution. And there are some devices that do that. I know the Ray uh, PPB is, is a device we've had, you know, used for years. They're about, they're an expensive tool. It's about seven, $8,000 device. Um, and that in real time, we'll, you know, we'll look at the total volatile organic compound. But so to your question, Kevin, that's for a screening tool. That's a lot of times what people will use in the industry to go out with, you know, real-time PID and be able to screen with that uh, using it almost like a Geiger counter. You're sniffing with it, you know, in real time, it reacts to uh, 
the the total TVOC count that it's picking up. So that's cool. You can find the source. Um, but if you're trying to find individual constituents, you can't really do it with that. I mean, you sort of can program and look for a certain category, but you're almost going to have to do some sort of an air sample grab and have it uh, analyzed under mass spectrometry okay. in the laboratory. So in terms of certification, that is something that you want to get done, uh, depending on the certification, you know, after a certain amount of years. So it's just, you know, it's for like recertification purposes. Yeah. I mean, like if you're talking for like lead in a building and that sort of thing, they usually are going to do a grab, you know, a grab collection canister and then have a, you know, have a, they'll still do TVOC a lot because that's all they're looking for is TVOC. Um, yeah. You know, they're not looking for individual constituents with that either. So, and they have modified with LEAD 4.0, right, Joe? Is this, is, this is correct, right? LEAD 4.0, they do allow you to use a PID now, right? I'm not a LEAD guy, so. I think um, they do. Because yeah, um, so. we, we always, you know, we try to stay away from doing the, camp, you know, the lab sample because it's pricey. You know, if you start doing <laughs> lab grabs are like, uh, you know, you're looking at a few hundred dollars a sample. So it, you can run up a pretty quick tab there. What about a monitor for carbon dioxide and that as an effective measure for good indoor air? What's well, a good, if, uh, you're determining in, in, indirectly your ventilation rate. So that's really, and there's a lot of them that are out there. Um, you know, we're going to throw out some places where you can go to do some of these things. So I'll, I'll back up. So for VOC testing, we send people to uh, PRISM, which is now actually renamed uh, uh, Enthopy uh, Analytical. So they have the ability to do that and they have a great report that you can pay a little more to get an incredibly detailed. They're doing a great job of having a library of according to what we believe, these things are being caused by X, Y, or Z. Like, oh, this is clearly a freshly painted room or other conditions. So they mm -hmm. give a, a variety of good good job of the background behind that. They also do MVOCs, which if you're trying to find out there's something that's actively growing that you can't detect otherwise, or it's a good way to do a background And, and define that MVOC is microbial volatile organic compound. Uh, but I understand a lot of laboratories. I mean, all the major labs do, you know, do VOC analyses. You know, any any lab that does industrial hygiene type analyses. So it's not there's not there's not just like a single source to get that done. There's a lot of places. And, and as Joe mentioned, there the, the company you mentioned is they're good. I mean, they they're they're a well known company for that. So uh, go go get a report from whoever you want to work with, so you know what kind of information is in the background on that. That's really what you're after. So what are, what are the details that comes out of that? To your second question with, with the uh, carbon dioxide, and Terry, I'll get you in a sec. Um, the, uh, let's talk the technology first. If you're going to real-time monitor it, you're probably going to want to use what's known as NDIR, uh, non-dispersive infrared technology, um, because that's the type of technology that you most accurately and most stably can monitor carbon dioxide. Um, there's also electrochemical sensors for CO2, but the, those can be wonky and they're, they don't, they have a shorter lifespan. The NDIR technology, that equipment can last for years. I mean, and stay calibrated for years. So most components that are doing CO2 readings will have, you just look for an NDIR sensor because that's really what should be there. And, and it's, wait, it's, so, so let, let's start, let, let's back up for just a second. So you know, I have a, um, I'm going to the Smith's house. So the Smith said, Hey, you know, we're really concerned about um, indoor air quality. Um, one of our kids have been coughing a lot or sneezing or a variety of stuff. And like, can you please just come over and test our air? So uh, a lot of things happen on the phone, obviously for all of us. And then we uh, decide if when we go now, maybe it's a little more cautious or depends on their, their comfort level, but let's just assume it's a year from now when people aren't so concerned about, COVID. So let's get past that as the, the qualifier. So the challenges are, is that, you know, if you're not doing the really good 
history, if you're not getting more and more information about them and their house, even before you walk in the door, then all the great instruments that we're discussing now are, are useless. Okay. So um, in fact, uh, I'll, you know, I'll give it as a question, but I'll give it immediate answers that what's the most sensitive equipment that you actually are able to uh, take to the house. And it's you um, and, and the occupants themselves. So you may not be as sensitive as some of your occupants who are just, you know, in tears or their kids can't stop uh, coughing or having breathing issues. And you're all of your instruments combined, you know, you can br bring in a, a lab truck and bring in the probe and be like, Oh my gosh, everything is fine here. Well, that doesn't matter because their kids are still having concerns. So if you don't start with the basic instrument, which is the occupant, then you've, you've left yourself open to, I'm struggling to figure this out. So if you're not doing a great um, diagnostics with where is it happening? When is it happening? Uh, what kind of conditions? Have you changed anything? Have you changed your laundry detergent? Is there something new in the house? Is the house new in general? So if you're not getting that kind of good quality information that's, a, that's fundamental, then all of your instruments are only going to be a frustration for you. So sometimes you can open uh, something up and be like, oh my gosh, why is your carbon dioxide levels, you know, over 2000 and you have a window open? There's something, there's something wrong with this picture. Probably it's a device, but let's figure out what else could be causing those kind of issues. So um, if you're doing that, then you have a good chance of figuring it out. Some of the things you can do, which I've learned this from Carl Grimes, I tried to preach this regularly is don't go to the house without having them evaluate their own house first. So asking them to close up all of their windows and doors, go see a movie today or go do something out of the house and come back. And as soon as they walk in, see if there's something, it's an issue in the main part of the house. Go to each room and open the door quickly, put your head in and find out, is there something that I'm reacting to? Go underneath your, the cabinets that are in the bathrooms in the kitchen, find out, is there something that's happening here in these areas? So if you can try to isolate where these conditions are happening because most people have their wind, their doors open regularly so that you don't know that it's one room or one area or a basement. Those are the kind of things you want to diagnose ahead of time with the occupant because that's the issue. The occupant can give you a lot of information as to where you need to focus on. And uh, from there on, then I can do a variety of testing or use a device to determine or conclude what are my hypotheses. I don't have a hypothesis. I'm just roaming around with something trying to go, oh, here's the answer. And uh, that's really a shot in the dark. Yeah, I want to reiterate that too. What you what you just said too, because I think it's a it's a really important point. A lot of times people get caught up, um, you know, the constituents get caught up on on wanting to have data, and 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 we talked about data in our Tuesday night show, and data is really important. I'm not I'm not diminishing data by any stretch, but ultimately, you know, the number of spores per cubic meter or the TVOC counter, you know, any of these things in the space really are irrelevant. It's you know what's what's affecting that occupant, right? That's that. That's really the the big concern, and I can't tell you how many times I've I've asked occupants to you know be their own canary right and, and actually do the test. And if you know, I think this this product you know that we've added to the house, this paint or whatever, has been a problem. Okay, we'll put it in a mason jar, seal it up for a while, let it sit at room temperature, then open it and take a whiff. You know, and honestly, do you react to that? Because I, I, it doesn't matter what levels I find with diagnostics, you know, it, it does it cause a problem for you or not as an individual, right? All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll head down the path. So we're at the Smith's house, okay? They did their uh, own assessment and they didn't feel as though there was one area that was more concerning for them. So now I've got my device in my hand. I'm like, okay, I'll go around and do some. So for, first of all, if you're doing carbon uh, dioxide, I'm now the source. So you'd be cautious about that. Oh, yes. The carbon dioxide is really high when it's near my mouth. <laughs> Wondering why. 20,000. Um, so, right. And again, this is similar to uh, the people that are doing spore traps or doing multi. So it's about 
that time in that space in that location at the same height so whatever's happening right here right now then that's what's happening versus some type of monitoring and we had we did have a great quote that happened on uh on tuesday so um, the, the concept was, do I want to just have, if I have a security system, do I want to take a snapshot, you know, every six months, whenever I'm around, or do I want something that's low quality, probably kind of grainy. I can't uh, make out the, the face, but I can get the data all the time. I could see that somebody's at my house. I can see that somebody's actually my back door. I may not be able to identify them for the police, but I can tell something's happening. I can tell something changed. So a lot of these monitors are trend indicators, but that's really great information that happens. So determining something while I'm there is very difficult versus saying, I'm gonna leave behind these three monitors. I'm gonna email you every couple of days and ask you to move them in different places so we can keep track of what's happening. That gives me an idea of how they're using their home, what kind of areas are having more issues than others, uh, why their carbon dioxide in their uh, bedroom went over to 2000 is because they're closing the doors and have no windows open. These are the things that I can now discover about their lifestyle because again, it's not the occupant's sensitivity, but it's their habits. So again, we keep thinking that there's something about the home that may be doing that, but the people that control the home and control the ventilation or not use the ventilation, uh, you know, to find out that they're earlier cooking at six o'clock because my number spiked uh, on my particulates and that was in their bedroom. So clearly they're not using their exhaust hood or the exhaust hood doesn't go outside. All these things are helping us determine uh, what their indoor air quality is. Uh, without being too um, uh, over-testing or even confirming what actually is happening from a lab. There's a lot that can be done by low-cost monitors. And understand that the other thing, too, is that a lot of what's been done in the industry, and I, I've been around for a while, um, has been snapshot-type sampling. I mean, we think about it, a lot of what we do as indoor environmental consultants is snapshots. We're, we're going in and we're, even if we're doing an assessment at a commercial building, we're going through the building and, and we're taking snapshots. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of opportunity to just get very limited pictures of what's happening in those spaces. If you take a spore trap, for example, it's a five minute sample. You're taking five minutes, you're taking two and a half cubic feet of air for a typical uh, Zephon aerosol, right? So that's like, you know, that's all you're sampling is that much air. That's it. At that time, at that for five height, freaking minutes. Yeah, yeah in with, that area, And within the close vicinity of where that captured, that's the other thing people don't talk about is these things do, you know, like if you take a spore trap in a 30 by 20 room, is that representative of that entire room? Hell no. It's not. House, it's representative within where the capture is. <laughs> so it, it, anything that you can do to trend and get long-term trends, you're going to have a better picture of the profile of what's happening in the space. So you want, let, want to let Terry, Terry, you had a question, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, based on uh, uh, the reading that I did, uh, uh, I understand, do I understand correctly that if, um, for residential situations, if it uh, warrants doing uh, some kind of VOC measuring, um, the TVOC is the most most uh, useful measure rather than for residential rather than individual chemicals in a typical situation. Um, both because uh, a typical residential would not uh, have a particular um, high level of a single uh, chemical, but rather uh, uh, there are lots of building materials and furnishings and occupant uh, materials that they use like cleaners and so forth, all of which can e emit uh, small levels of VOCs that 
um, in certain situations can combine together to create a potentially problematic TVOC level. You agree with that? I, I do. It's the first place to start mm -hmm. as to, okay, we have these levels. Um, and, but the, 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 the better approach would be to try to do it as you would a, the mold sample concept is I really should try to do multiple samples in the house to determine where those are happening, but also to make sure I knew what happened before I got there. So um, it isn't just what's in the house. It's also, you know, you talked about cleaning supplies. It's also what the occupants are wearing. So if somebody has a lot of perfume or other things, they have candles that even are or not uh, burning. So if you don't have a good visual assessment or confirming that, that these things are not happening or didn't happen recently, will uh, skew your results. So uh, some of the best ways to do that is if they're away from the house for the amount of time. So most of these tests are usually uh, anywhere from 30 minutes to a couple hours. So the best goal is to try and, if you want to separate the occupants from the house, is test the house without the occupants in that time frame. So you can send it to them or drop it off um, and try to isolate that, okay, these are seem to be coming from the house. Um, and, uh, you know, you do need to make sure they have what's called closed house conditions. So you don't show up and all the windows and doors are open because your test is now an outdoor test. So, do, so do you have, do you have an opinion on what would be a, a tip? Uh, this, this is a loaded question. Uh, a, a typical, uh, TVOC level in a residence. I don't. It's tough, right? Because I mean, like, you can't use the O Chappelle. The O Chappelle is 150 ppm. You know, there's no way you're hitting those kind of numbers unless you just painted with oil paint on the wall or something. Um, probably not happening. So th th that's the problem. Like, you know, what, what not, if you're looking for numeric values, I think it's tough with, with TVOC, especially in a consumer setting to, to be able to use it. Cause like Joe mentioned, uh, fragrances, colognes, cleaning products will trigger that stuff. You know, you take a, a dry erase marker and open up a dry erase marker, you know, that, that just spikes the uh, VOC levels in the space. So I, for me, you know, and I, I've been a consultant for a while and I always felt there was value in using a device like, like a, a Ray PPB unit that you could sniff with and try to find sources. And again, you know, it gets tougher in a residential market. Like, for example, in schools, I've used them quite a bit in a school environment, uh, going in and, and find, finding chemicals in a classroom that nobody knew were there. And you, you, you take the sniffer and you go near under the sink area in this elementary school and you, feel, you see, find out that the student or excuse me, the teacher has brought in like seven or eight chemicals that weren't sanctioned by the school. And they got all these products in there. And they're using them in the classroom. You know, that's, that's you know, part of their cleaning pro protocol. So Susan has a question. Susan Valenti, you can turn your camera on or you're just going to raise your hand? Are you going to come on verbally? Oh, I'll turn my camera on. The, by um, the way, let me introduce you. Susan Valenti, editor of Healthy Indoors Magazine. Okay. Um, so, so my question is twofold, okay? When, um, you know, when Bob named this show at the beginning, it was like, you know, the question was, what is IAQ? which I haven't heard an answer for that. And then, and then after that, can you like, you know, can you answer the question um, that's asked by many consumers, including myself at times, can you test my indoor air? Can you just like answer those just simple questions for me? Oh, wait, so Susan, thanks for being our, our, our client. So Susan, what do you want me to test your air for? Um, my addicts, Smells like mouse poop. 
Okay, so now now we actually have a qualifier as to what it is you want me to test. So it isn't you want me to test your indoor air quality. You want me to test to see if your yeah. mouse poop in your attic is downstairs or confirming that it is upstairs. And part of that will be a visual assessment. So that's part right. of the interview with your your occupant is whether or not they can qualify why it is and what they want to have tested. So if you had said, I, I think I have mold all over my uh, attic, that would be a different type of qualifier to do that. So um, in, in the first part of your question, so uh, those of you who have not responded to the chat, you're up. So here's the question. What is good indoor air quality? Susan, you're, you can now do that on the spot because all of us are struggling just as you are to try and figure out what that is. What would you say, you know what, good air quality, good indoor air quality is, and I've, I've done this on a variety of uh, trainings and other stuff and to see what kind of people come up with. And um, it is a serious challenge to really qualify that as a concept. And uh, I don't think there is a, a third party qualifier to say like, oh, this is technically good indoor well, air quality. Well, the old ASHRAE standard was if less than 20% of the building occupants are experiencing uh, discomfort, it's good. Yeah which is total horseshit. I'm sorry. That's just like ridiculous. So it's okay if 19% of the people in the building say they're sick, it's a good building. Uh, yeah, sorry. yeah, well, they do the 80-20 concept. So if, if, if uh, only 20% of people smell it, then that's okay. So. Right on, Bob. That's, but that being said, there's always, you know, it, it's relative to everyone, right? Susan, he asked you that question because everybody's affected differently. You know, if you want to all the constituents, all this, you know, all these factors that come into play. And, and there's, there's environments that you, Joe and I could walk into a room as a consultant and, and feel that everything's fine. And somebody's not feeling well in there. And I've, one thing I've learned in 35 years is that I don't automatically assume that because I don't experience the situation that the person telling me this, that they don't feel well in the space, you know, isn't correct. Yeah, well, I mean, our olfactory factory is the most uh, deceptive concept that we have. So, you know, you I, I use this example all the time. You go to somebody's house and you're like, oh, you have cats. But you shouldn't say that out loud. Like, oh, hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you in a while. You have cats now. So that just means you can smell their litter box, but they don't smell it anymore. You're, it's the only sense uh, of our senses that we can have that kind of would just shut off automatically. Like, you know what? This stinks. This is not something I want to be exposed to anymore. And it'll just stop. Um, so that actually is a challenge and that, that is a challenge for a variety of stuff. So formaldehyde, uh, and other stuff, you can be exposed to it. Your first exposure is like, oh, wow, uh, I can, I can sense that it's here. I can smell it. Um, but then 20 minutes later, you don't smell it as much. And an hour later, you probably don't smell it at all, but it's still there and it's still impacting you. So that's one of the challenges, especially with VOCs is that sometimes they can be really high and cause headaches, but, uh, uh, you can't smell it. Or if you're in the room for a long time, that's a common with couples you're like i can't smell it you know so well, you have know you have 10 to 15 you have yeah. only have about 10 to 15 minutes max before you before you flatten out your olfactory senses i mean that's yeah. as a consultant for those of your consultants and, and you know uh you you really do have to go in with a fresh nose like i do that all the time when i'm doing diagnostics on buildings i go back outside for 15 minutes and then come back in again and then go back outside you know sometimes it's really annoying to have to do that but you have to you do have to reset your nose you can't just stay in a space very long or you're dull. So Terry asked about what about, I mentioned earlier about using monitors. So um, I, I uh, am, believe me, I'm on the fence regularly. I have probably half a dozen of them sitting over here next to my desk. And, you know, it's rare that they actually all give me the same numbers or any, even close enough to what I consider like, oh, that's, we're reading uh, common numbers today. So, um, but <clears throat> they're telling me something. Um, and each one of them may have a slightly different number, but they're all trending. So if my 
carbon dioxide goes up high in my office. I'm like, God, nothing changed. Something changed. What happened? Why are the, why is the numbers different? Uh, or why my particulates just jumped? So uh, I moved something on my desk. Something happened. So uh, I do think that some of these uh, cheaper monitors do give you uh, information that's valid, just like uh, all information you're doing. You could do a bad radon test, but you're like, it gave me some numbers, but I, I'm not going to make a decision on it. If they're somewhat accurate, though, I, you got to qualify I, that. So you're you're right. What if they're so, like, what if they're batshit crazy and they don't ever get any? There's there's devices on the market that are being marketed that you can put four of them together and test them, and they can't even come close to each other on their numbers. They're way all over the place. So is there any value to that kind of data? So I, I encourage you to vet what it is the company that you want to. So sometimes they'll make a high end and a low end, and they're a high end maybe have a criteria that they're following, like a reset certification. Reset is a criteria to have your devices tested internally uh, based on a lab result, um, a lab device. So you can say, okay, I'm within certain tolerance of these yeah, devices. Yeah, they're replicatable. Yeah. So in general, that gives you some kind of indicator that you're doing it. And maybe their cheaper devices are also the same sensors, but they just don't give you this certification. So I say do your homework. And I think you're right on there, Terry, as to what you were uh, trying to uh, achieve or go with. So. Now we didn't answer Susan's question though, and she'll be she'll be she didn't put it back in the chat, but she will. Um, so what is good uh, indoor air quality? Uh, somebody somebody from the audience here. Um, yeah, I know no, nobody chatted away. Nobody was willing to. It's, so it's you, a tough you, one. But if you chat, that, we won't we won't read your names. How about that? So you can chat anonymously, even though it's not anonymous. So we'll gladly take what what you think of. Is how, how would you explain to your mom? Has you way to you bring my mom in? How would you explain to your mom what's good indoor air quality? So you're like, mom, I think your home is fine. Um, and she's like, well, what is good indoor air quality? And you would say, but I don't, we, I, we don't want to answer. So we don't want to bias uh, anybody until we get a few answers. So we're trying to figure as well as I'm trying to You can type it if, if you don't want to actually uh, you know, unmute yourself. I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but we'd but if love you, if to you're well, if, your if you're willing to unmute yourself, we'd love to hear what you have. Yeah, to we'd say. love, and there's no wrong answers because honestly, Joe and I can't answer this. You, you can see that we're already dancing on it. It's a. This is a tough one. And I, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm, you know, been an IAQ professional since uh, the mid '80s, and I don't have the answer. So some common uh, things about healthy homes. So people are like, "Oh, uh, you don't say it's a healthy home because that can be a liability or a challenge." So I usually try and use the word "healthier home" as a concept, and then I can explain that I made it healthier because I removed certain things, like we eliminated. Um, are, are using really low or no VOC, or no things, no VOC, but low VOC materials. We eliminated uh, uh, bad chemicals. Yeah, this is the problem. Do we have to change the name to healthier indoors? I, I know that's like, right because like, yeah, I can't you know, even but, define. You know, we we ha that's our moniker. That's our that's our trademark and everything uh, for our organization. And I don't even have an answer. You know, what is healthy indoors? It's but my point is that if you, but you can say that it's healthier or healthy, however you want to say, if you can explain what you remove. So I can only say that it's healthier because we did something that would remove unhealthy conditions. So you can say that, well, it's 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 good indoor air because I eliminated. It's not bad indoor air. Right? Now you went to a, a shift from A to B. It's well, what's bad indoor air? Like, well, if it's bothering you, if it, if you can, if you're aware of it, if you, you know, so you may live in a. But that's a easier to factor. define, right? You may live in a candle bad factory. Bad is easy to it. define. You can define yeah, right. bad. That's right. Yeah. So it's, it's impacting me. I'm aware of it. I don't like it. I don't want to be in it. So then you're like, oh, it's bad. So if you don't have that, then you're like, oh, it must be good indoor air. Well, healthy air be air that does not have adverse effects to the occupants. Uh, adverse meaning? Un, uh, unwanted or unhealthy or 
you know, whatever the occupants, uncomfortable, too hot. Good start, cold. Patrick. Thanks, thanks for being brave to do that. That's good. That's that's very good. I mean, that's, it, that's that a good seems start. reasonable. So, so, yeah. So he's, he's saying that if it if 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 it's uh, not conducive to the occupant, then it's not in it's not good indoor air. So I guess if it's if you're okay with your house. Um, then, you know, and we all have our own buying, we have our own smell that old people smell that you, that's, you know, your grandmother's smell. house had smell, odor, whatever you want to call it. It's just, there's amount of, uh, a large amount of stuff that is accumulated on the, the physical parts of the, the floor, the walls, the furniture, right. all of that's creating this off gassing that you think about as the, you know, the, the grandma's house smell. The individually uh, wrapped hard candies in the, in the dish. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They all have. So anyway, but, but those are the things that are create your own microbiome. And uh, some, the longer you're in it, the more obvious those kind of things can show up. So if, if grandma moved, uh, she wouldn't have a grandma smell um, because she didn't have a, she wasn't in there long enough to create that, that biome that's in there. So and she doesn't smell it, but we do and we go visit. So that's, yeah. those are some of the challenges. And to her, it's, it's a healthy environment because that's what her biome is asking for. It's saying, you know what, these are the things that I want to live in and live around. And, um, and we're, we're just now understanding that having all of this bacteria and all of these components and some of these smells and odors around us isn't a bad thing. In fact, we're actually kind of in a bad spot right now because COVID said, clean everything, sterilize your body, Claire, sterilize your house, clean, clean, clean. And these commercials are shown, oh gosh, I've got this stuff. I can spray it all the time. Don't touch that doorknob without cleaning it. You know, we are going to uh, set ourselves up for, yeah, well, yeah, anything. It's So we're setting ourselves up for a bad spot of being uh, overly sterilized area. And um, I refer to Rob Dunn's book uh, frequently on uh, about, you know, um, shoot, what's the name of his book? Um, it'll come in a second. <laughs> Well, you can search Rob Dunn's book and you can get it. It's the something among us. Isn't it? You're muted now. Yeah, I'm not sure how I muted myself, but that was interesting. So um, uh, anyway, it'll come to me in a second. Susan's probably searching it in the background. So, But he has a lot of great uh, observations about when you start eliminating good bacteria, other bacteria says, hey, thanks for eliminating me because that bacteria is keeping me away. So now I have bad bacteria that are coming into areas in our body, in our body, in our environment that are doing that. So well, yeah, fungi never home too. alone. Fun, never fun, home alone. Fun, yeah, fungi too. That, that's the other thing. It's like when you knock things out of balance, you know, the, you, you have you – have, the various fungal organisms, the various bacterial organisms competing for space. And, and, you know, and that, that's one of the, one of my complaints prior to the pandemic of, you know, the, the categoric use of uh, hand sanitizers all the time, which kills bacteria and doesn't really kill yeast and other fungi. So you actually make yourself more susceptible to, to fungal infections by using those all the time. You're such a fun guy. I'm known for it. Yeah. I'm one of the early okay. adopters of mold. Yeah. So, so far we've uh, been able to kill, we'll call it 40 minutes because we started a little late uh, and not. Yeah. We're going to run a little late today. If you can, yeah. you guys feel free to jump off. We'll probably run the show an extra eight or nine minutes to make up for our late start. You, by the way, you never commented on, uh, uh, there, there was a, Kevin put a thing back in there saying, I just want to just clarify this question you asked. You said you're finding 45 to 200. And I think you were talking about TVOC though, right? Parts per billion. That wasn't a CO2 question. That was parts per billion. Oh yeah. Okay. 
So there's um, uh, micrograms per gram cube is what some people also use for VOC. So there's a variety of different measurements. Well, in fact, that, that's actually what lead is based on. And that's one of the problems is that if you use a photo ionization detector, there's not a direct, you know, it's difficult to directly reference part PPB to the microgram reading. Unless your device gives you both. Which some do now. Yeah, they right, didn't. Right. They, didn't they, um, they didn't used to. That was, that was kind of hard to extrapolate that. Reset also, uh, the reset, the certification body also has um, micrograms per gram cube. So that's also a challenge. So. Well, that is the standard that's used. Yeah. That's the, the, that's so, you, you know, and it is apples to oranges. You're, you're looking at it two different ways. You guys are quiet well, today. Well, let me, re I, I want to, re let me jump into a specific area. Um, and so it looks like, you know, we talked about what is good indoor air quality. And by default, at least we're kind of, I think we're saying that we can't really define what's good air quality, but we can somewhat define what's bad indoor air quality for a subset group of people. So the absence of it being bad for people is maybe acceptable. I don't know if there's, is there a possible, is it possible to have good indoor air quality or do we just have acceptable indoor air quality? Maybe there. There's two different tiers, but I, I want to jump into mold because mold is one of my f uh, favorite things, topics, because it just, it, it has been the poster child of the indoor air quality industry for what, 22 years now, 21 years, right? Since the, since 21 years, since the mold rush of 2000. Um, and, and I think it's just, it, it's overplayed a lot because people have just really capitalized on people's fears and you know there's been a lot of false marketing and a lot of exaggerated marketing and a, and a lot of misunderstanding and i still don't think we really know what the heck we're doing with it to some extent right oh, what do we yeah. test we go out we go out and test environmentally we test spores per cubic meter in a spore trap how does that directly equate to somebody's health well you, you're there's no thresholds for mold so some of the other things we've mentioned do have some type of threshold or some but they're industrial. Thresholds. They're mostly industrial. And, there's, uh, not, yeah, there's not thresholds right. for the living space. Well, that's because the EPA says I'm not going to uh, uh, litigate you know, or monitor what happens in your house. You can do whatever you want in your house. You can have as many VOCs, as much mold, whatever you want to have in your house. We do not control or get in. The government's not in your house. They are where you work. They are in commercial spaces. Yeah, but the numbers – yeah, but look at the numbers we're looking at. The OSHA PELS and the ACGIH thres threshold uh, limit values are still based on, you know, uh, a male in their 30s in an industrial eight-hour work environment, mostly. That's how these numbers come up. Are they applicable I'm, to you living in your house 24 hours a day? I don't think so. No, but so you, but you, the, the, the defense is I have nothing else to go on. Okay, so that's the only I can compare I get to it. some other number. Right? But it doesn't mean that they're good by any means, but... Um, there are other data is now progressing that we will have something to work on. So, but again, mm -hmm. uh, mold is just a, uh, uh, it's a money-making opportunity for most people. It's really not something that is a well vetted. Uh, it, it, it's a shame that we're this far into mold, you know, saying that there were, the explosion happened in the late nineties. Uh, you were there for that. And well, we were day, doing we mold back in the early nineties, just so you know. So yeah. I, I was, I was writing articles about it before anybody was talking about mold in the U S Susan will attest to that because she used to publish sure. them. I know it's in the Bible. It's been around forever. It's all over everywhere. Yeah, but yeah. The, the reality is we still don't have a great process to be like, you know what, your home probably needs to be uh, remediated and here's how it should be done. Even though people say there are, there are standards to do all that, but uh, I still don't find them to be something that is like, wow, that is a really great scientific approach to confirming that 
yes, you have a, a, an issue that's growing in your house and here's how we want to remediate it without actually causing water issues. So it can be done, but the point is that there's a high percentage of people who don't do that. And uh, that, that's an industry that's probably, you, you can find the same thing in medical industries that people are out there taking your money and, and evaluating your body and thinking, okay, great, file an insurance claim and not really doing what they should be doing. So that is part of how, uh, unfortunately, the industry and people work. But uh, I, I really don't, I'm not fond of the mold industry. I'm, I want to throw one of my pet peeves out. Yeah. When you see on products and pe- salespeople mentioning this and, and in the sales materials talking about dealing with mold and mildew. That's one, of, yeah. that's one of my big pet peeves. So years and years ago, Susan was actually at this class. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cite Susan and Tim Aber and I attended uh, the Macron Institute to get our level one uh, microscopy uh, certification, whatever, for doing uh, uh, level one uh, you know, mold uh, my, microbial assessment, fungal assessment. And uh, the instructor was really adamant about how he was annoyed by, by that. Uh, because mildew, just just so you know, like you know, for some reason there's been this marketing thing in consumers' minds that well, if it's mildew, it's not mold, so we're okay. We just got mildew in our in our bathroom, and it's like, well, first off, you probably don't have mildew in your bathroom. Because mildew is a parasitic fungi that grows on living plant organisms. Okay, so unless unless you have live plants in your like shower, you probably don't have mildew in your shower or on your shower curtain. Um, so we don't have mildew indoors. That's, it's just, it's a total misnomer, but it drives me crazy to see manufacturers having that even on their, on their labeling. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, again, that's why I just said, I'm really not crazy about where we're at. We're, we have but it's a qualifier. Gotten... Use that as a qualifier because when somebody starts spewing that stuff to you saying, well, oh, mold, that's just mildew. As soon as a, you know, professional says that I go, you're full of shit. I mean, I, I know that right away. You already don't know what you're talking about. So yeah, I'm already looking seen, at you like I, I, you don't know what you're seen, saying. Yeah, but I have seen mildew as defined as a definition, which is really describing it as a surface issue in a bathroom or common area that's described by over. So just that's you know, not I've accurate. Seen, I, I got it. It's got to be on a plant. Anyway, <laughs> it's not so, accurate at all. Okay. Anyway, great, right. so we can argue that. For, but let, let's move on to some other concepts. Okay, right. you and your mold. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, but let's right move too. on to other uh, other challenges. So, some of you brought up. So, um, let's we will talk about what is good uh, good things to do because there was a couple consumers on the on our show today. So, um, they're talking Corinne about humidifiers. Question, right? to get to hers yeah, too. Yeah, it's about humidifiers or scrubbers or cleaners or things that are trying to uh, provide moisture into the air, which makes it larger uh, particles, makes it heavier particles, and it's easier to potentially scrub. Is kind of the concept behind that. So. Um, some of these products I, I'm, I don't know, I haven't used or owned. So uh, I'm always looking for third-party evidence as to what they do or how they do it. Cause there's a very rare that I have good third-party evidence as to what's been successful. I am a major like old school kind of guy. I'd be like, just capture it, you know, get a good high MERV filtration. All right. Uh, HEPA is actually something you can do as a portable device. You can get good HEPA or close to HEPA, capture it throw it away. And I've learned that recently that those filters don't last six months. You're lucky to get two months out of them if you're running them regularly. So I have uh, air purifiers, uh, you know, standalone air um, uh, purifiers that are HEPA in many rooms in my house. I have the box fan with the HEPA on the back. So we do a lot of, because uh, we leave our windows open a lot. That only brings in more dust, lots of particles. So we are constantly kind of scrubbing our air as much as we can, because if you got your windows and doors open, you're not running your uh, uh, air handler to do any kind of filtration there. So the, our goal is to try and get as much air mixing and uh, particulate capture as much as possible. So that's one of the things we do 
um, throughout our whole house. We have one in, in, in all of our sleeping rooms and um, uh, common areas. We have a dog now. So there's a lot of stuff. I was surprised. I, I changed our filters the other day and I was like, wow, these have been in. You're months. talking about your, your furnace filter, the right, your main filter in your house. You're not saying you're changing HEPA filters and portable HEPA devices every couple months, right? Yeah, no. It, it, if you if you really see, if you're using them regularly. You're changing you're the gonna, HEPA filter, not just the pre's? Not just the what? You're, not just the pre-filters on those devices. The HEPA no, filters my, should last for years. No, no, no. Yeah, I, have, I have a real true HEPA uh, air purifier. So it is a I, I monster. Yeah, yeah, but my, my filter is yeah. a monster thing. And there is no pre-filter. It, it doesn't have that. So uh, there's a there's a skin on the outside that I can do a soft. Oh, so you don't have – okay. So I'm thinking – and I, I'll, I'll name brand it. I, I, I've got IQ Air Health Pro Pluses in my house. Sure. We have a bunch of them. And, but those HEPAs will go years if you, if you change the, the two front-end filters on it. Yeah, so they all have their own. Yeah, well, my HEPA is you know five inches thick, yeah. so that's what I'm after. So, so yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, make sure you understand how to use your air purifier. But uh, I encourage you to have those in throughout the house, as well as create the air mixing because you can have a great ventilation system. You can have a the, the best Zender or CRV uh, system that's in there or a Brone anybody but they do a good job of pulling and uh, subtracting air. Doesn't mean they're doing a good job of mixing the air or grabbing all the air that's in there, uh, nor do I feel is they're the, the main source of filtration that you really need in that house. So the, the filtration is usually designed to keep their own motor and their own system clean. That's really their, their main purpose. The secondary purpose is to remove the particles and conditions in your house. So, um, and we haven't talked about wildfires yet, but I, that's one of the things I do want to end on, but let's go back to, what is, uh, so there's somebody on here that asked about, so I'm thinking about getting a new house or what can I do in my existing house? Okay. So uh, number one is, is think about what are your habits? Do your uh, existing, let's just start with your existing basic ventilation. Okay. So if you have good bathroom fans, you know, are they running constantly? That's an upgrade. That's a, a really good thing to have. So you're constantly pulling. I know where the air is getting pulled from. We'll come to that in a second. So do I, am I, am I pulling air out of the house as a regular basis? So uh, am I using my kitchen exhaust fan? Does it go outside? Does my bathroom fan go outside? Do I go outside and see a damper open when my exhaust fans are on? Okay, so if you're seeing that these systems are working and you're using them or you set them up to be a constant low flow, then let's uh, also evaluate where's the air coming from because air uh, out, somewhere there's air in. So usually it's the weakest point, the fastest place where it can come in. A lot of times that is the garage door or that's a place through your crawl space because you've got a lot of leakage in your floor or your attic. So unless you have a really good well-sealed house and how to professional do that, because, you know, getting your caulk gun out and, and doing some like air sealing here and there isn't it. You really need to have a professional come out and seal the house. If you have a crawl space that's exposed uh, dirt, that is a major exposure issue, period. I, I'm an anti-crawl space uh, dirt person. If you have a crawl space, you need to get it sealed. That is just fundamental concept that there's huge amount of mold, bacteria, uh, all the funk. If you want to store, if you're comfortable to store your Christmas belongings or your uh, clothes you don't wear off season in your crawl space, then it's a good crawl space. Otherwise, you should have it sealed because it, it should be the kind of place where you're like, you know what, if I really want to, I could go down there or I could put a box in there knowing it's not going to get wet or moldy or nasty or all those kind of things. So if you're if you're taking care of your house, Knowing where the air comes from, you've now started to have a healthier home or good indoor air quality because I've controlled the sources and I'm able to move air out. Your next level, which is an expensive one, is to get something that is an ERV or an HRV or something that's balanced ventilation. It means air in, air out. It's equal. It's creating balances. 
in the house itself. And now you need to decide as to how you want to do that independent ducts, or do I get rid of my exhaust fans in my bathroom, which is highly recommended at this point. So these are the biggest upgrades you can do to get really good, good indoor air quality. I don't use the word fresh air anymore because and I haven't for years because you don't know where it comes from. So if you have a wildfire and you have issues, you can't open your windows now. I have to turn off my balanced ventilation. Now you're struggling to figure out where is good indoor air quality coming from. So now you're back to let's figure out localized ways to grab these gases because that's really what the smoke is. It's a, it's a fine particles that are almost gases that have those odors. So now you're into let's add charcoal to my concept, which is going to grab some of the particulates and the odors and eliminate that. And those last only a couple of weeks before you have to replace those kind of filters. So that's a quick, okay, here you want to hear my idea of what's good indoor air quality. It's a complete holistic approach to the concept, uh, let alone getting rid of your candles and all the other crap. If you have plugins, anybody on this show has plugins, you, as soon as the show ends, you need to go get them and uh, just throw them away. So you're talking about things that are putting out odors in the space to mask. That's right. Yeah, odors. you're yeah, masking that's something. That's right. So figure out so, what you're masking and to get rid of those. So, so I, I got to dissect a couple of things you just said. So okay, when you're it. talking carbon filters, most carbon filters that, if, if you're talking consumer level, even commercial level, they tend to use the carbon impregnated, uh, in, you know, impaction media filters, which have very little carbon on them. You know, the actual volume of carbon, right? The actual grams of car carbon in that right. space are very low, so they have very little ability to remove. Uh, you know, uh, off, you know, gaseous contaminants. When you, you have to start getting devices that have actual, like, for example, some of these air units, like an, uh, an IQ air unit, they have a, a six or a seven pound carbon pack that goes in there. You know, it's a seven pounds of activated carbon going into that unit. So yeah, that's going to actually be able, that's a sorbent that's going to be able to grab a lot of, lot of gaseous material out of the space. And it's going to work for a while, you know, m multiple months, it's going to be effective. Uh, so that, that's a big thing to consider. Corinne uh, did, you know, pose the question about uh, plants being used. And I, I know I saw Susan in the moderation, you know, said, Dr. Corsi said it doesn't work. But I, I wanted to point out, we had a guest uh, back uh, last year, uh, Baran Agarwal, who um, actually uh, is involved with the building in New Delhi, India. Uh, and again, in that environment, right, it's like wildfires, right? Their PM 2.5 counts outdoors, horrible, horrible, right? I mean, they, they're dealing with PM 2.5 hitting sometimes 400 outdoors. So there's no such thing as fresh air in the outdoors. It's awful because at certain times of the year, actually, farmers burn their fields. So they actually have, they're creating their own wildfires. Yeah, but, they're doing Georgia too. Yeah. So that being said, anyway, he's got, he has a building that's LEED Platinum certified there, a commercial building that literally has the entire upstairs, the penthouse is all plants. Remember he said, I think he had like 10,000. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 10,000 plants or something. And like, it's this massive terrarium and they actually scrub the air coming from outdoors. They filter it and they scrub it through this whole bank of, you know, and, and it's very interesting. The way I, I saw some photos of it. It's like tears and tears and tears of plants. So they have a lot of air volume goes through and these plants can absorb both through the leaves and through the root structures, you know, like it's a really sophisticated system and they're able, it actually does work, but it's a pretty sophisticated use of plants. Once one plant on your desk, isn't going to do very much, you know, like well, imagine one of your floors, like, okay, you know what? The second floor is all plants. That's, that's kind of the concept or the amount of surface area that you almost need. Yeah. It's an that. entire floor yeah. of the building is plants. Right. In that case, but it does, but it can be done is uh, the point is, is, Susan, <laughs> that's a, just so you're clear, right? You need a jungle, and it that's is a jungle. Well, he has a jungle you know, in the building. That's what yeah. he has. 
you need a jungle to make this much difference. So. Well, 10,000 plants is a bit of a jungle in an that's office. That's a jungle. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's it's, not it's... like, you know, a couple quote unquote air purifying plants in your no, apartment. I agree. So. I agree. But, but, you guys but, must have articles but there is a green way that. to do it. You know, that's what I'm yeah, saying. But, there is an yeah, actual way to do it. You know, that. and there's, and there's a difference between like a green wall, which is like usually like, you know, floor to ceiling over like a, you know, a big stretch of a commercial building, which like, you know, which has plants, but it has like other things in there filtering air so mm. it's not just the plants that are in like a green that's world. true that's um, true yeah uh there is but there is a psychological um benefit that's been documented about having that kind well of yeah well, well you know and that's what i mentioned to corinne is that you know psychologically it makes you, you feel, feel better really seeing plants makes you feel better in the indoor environment what's well, so, also documented even if it's not a live plant if it is something like my background just those kind of stuff in the environment has been proven to actually be beneficial i'm not thinking that a virtual background and a green screen is going to make you feel better in your environment no but having pictures of uh outdoor environments in your uh indoor environment has actually been proven to be beneficial. Okay, yeah okay yeah that's true no that's true you're right there's like they do the wallpaper units and stuff okay yeah, yeah, yeah. i guess no, we're fine. You. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, Joe. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, but your voice is. It's okay. Yeah, I know. It's my nature. <laughs> Kevin had another question, didn't you? Or do we already answer it? Um, well, I was just going to touch on, you know, indoor, you know, the the mom and pop question, like what what you would tell your parents, or uh, about good indoor air. So. I mean, obviously there's a lot of, you, like, like Joe said, you know, I said that my question was kind of answered. There's a lot, there's a multi-pronged approach that you can take. So the more pricey version you're saying is an ERV, HRV, if there's good outdoor air in that area, but primarily should be just keeping up on your filter changes, maybe some supplemental air purifiers if you're having issues. You know, this is kind of what you recommend. Yeah, you can go to uh, Rockus, R-O-C-I-S, uh, Linda Wigington. And she's got a lot of documentation. You can send me an email and uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn or whatever. But they do a concept where they go in and these are like, you know, 15-year-old units, 10-year-old units. And they change out the motor to something that's ECM. So it uses a now uh, fraction of the amount of energy it did before. And they take their super inline uh, return and uh, move the return, the filter into the inline and make it so it, the entire air coming through now hits the, the entire um filter. So you now have low static pressure and they run them 24 seven as an air purifying system. So they are now it's not just conditioning when they need it, but they set it up and it costs, and this is in Pittsburgh area, they're spending maybe uh, 10 to $15 a month uh, to run them 24 seven because uh, they have a high particulate. They have some serious bad outdoor air. So they're able to use a really high, you know, MERV 13 filter uh, with a low static constantly to get really great responses. In fact, when I upgrade my system probably later this summer, I'm definitely going to make room to do that as part of that uh, return system. It's because right now we have these systems where it comes down and goes to a 90 degree and only part of the filter is getting used and you have high static based on all these things we're doing with the filters. So uh, think about a better way to use the existing system uh, to actually purify all of the house because it's that's how it's operating its best. So, yeah. Patrick had a yeah. comment about uh, crawl space uh, barriers, you know, over crawl space floors um, in the chat. And I just want to just mention it because Joe had mentioned that too, that, that, you know, it's, it's, it's a big issue having exposed soil within the, the, the built environment. I totally agree. Uh, that's nightmarish. There's nothing good happening with exposed soil and the whole concept of, you know, many of these crawl spaces have mechanical equipment running through them, right? Duct work, things like that. So, and there, even if there isn't, there's still going to be 
electrical penetrations or maybe plumbing penetrations. Right. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, like like my buddy Terry Brennan said years ago, if you want the the pressure boundary, which is you know around the whole building envelope, and the and and the thermal boundaries should be aligned, and you should be able to, like if you're going to draw a red pen around the stick frame view of of the building, it it should you should be able to draw all the way around and reconnect the other end without having to lift the pen up. In other words, you really do want to bring everything within the boundary. So in my mind, crawl spaces should be brought within the building envelope and you insulate to the, to the actual foundation walls in the crawl space and the rim joist. And you, you keep those spaces semi-conditioned and totally sealed. That, There's a me, lot of philosophies around how to do that. Seriously. If you, uh, the advanced energy did a lot of great studies on that. You can research advanced energy and see some of the studies that they did to show that in fact, most people think, Oh, I have, I, it's vented. It's good. And you realize that in the summer, you're only bringing in moisture. You're not actually yeah. venting. You're, you're actually providing a moisture source to your crawl space. Yeah. The, the local cold climate center here in Alaska did a study on that. And the, the amount of moisture that comes in during a rainstorm through passive venting is just incredible. It's crazy. Passively vented crawl spaces. There's still, there's still a standard in a lot of areas in the U S it's crazy. I mean, having that open, it's, it's bad in the winter, it's energy loss in the winter. And in the summer you bring, you know, moisture laden uh, air into the space that condenses and creates mold growth. I mean, it's just nothing good happens at all from those. They're yeah. awful. We have, we have humidistat controlled power vent crawl spaces, semi-conditioned only run when there's humidity. Yeah, I'm trying to digest some of the comments that are over here. There's a lot, lot of great chat today in, in the comments. So, um, and we are getting to that time, so let's let's get what we can get. And well, I'm not the co-host, so I can't. I'm not going to be. Responsible oh, for that. You played that Tuesday night too, <laughs> but you know, it, and that's the interesting thing. So we did the after hour show, hour show Tuesday. Night. It was a totally different format. And by the way, we went 30 minutes over or 28 minutes over on that one. If the show ran a full two hours, because we, we were drinking, but it was a great show too. There was a lot of great commentary. Well, right now we're at almost at our just just past a few minutes over our 16 minute mark it's correct real time so um so um i'll go last this time we'll put it uh, I'll, I'll switch that around so uh so bob so if you wanted to tell uh you know the, the listening to audience or those that are here today you know what's the the one thing that you would qualify as uh that is good indoor air quality what would it be wow okay um and again, this is going to be categoric for anything. I'm going to try to make it very generic so it's not for commercial or residential specific. I mean, to me, a good good indoor environment, first of all, I don't want to say good indoor air quality only. It's good indoor environmental quality to, to uh, take that up from Don Weeks. Um, because it's more just the air, right? We're dealing we're dealing with the entire environment, the sound, uh, the thermal comfort. I mean, all of that comes into play. So it's got to be an environment that you don't feel adversely affected in. You you can you can live, survive, and feel reasonably well in the space, right? You know that you don't have anything that it's I I can't really define it any better than that, Joe. It's like really it's the absence of feeling not good in the space. You know, you you sh you should. Oh, God, you killed me. Yeah, I don't have the answer. Yeah. 35 uh, years in the industry, I still can't answer that question. That's pretty awful. So um, mine would be, I, I know we talk commercially uh, off and on, but the reality is you're at home more than you probably are at work, or at least I hope that you are, or you know, somewhere in that line. So many people are now away home more often than they ever were. So um, I guess mine would be what is, is to take control over your environment. And that is to 
we become incredibly complacent. So it is the occupant who has the ability to change that environment, whether it is that you need to figure out a way to get a air purifier in the room you hang out in or your office or your bedroom or budget to get your system upgraded. And it doesn't mean putting an ERV or HRV in, it's make sure that your system is working as efficient as it can to do what it's supposed to do for you. So to me, it's about, uh, you know, take ownership of the air you breathe is really the, the, the way to send that back is that if you take ownership, then you'll be happy with what you're breathing and what your experience is. And that usually brings us back to others here or here trying to help people do that. So. You know, it's not a device, it's not a system, um, it's everything all at once that you have to figure that out. House is a system, person is a system, together you'll know when you have good indoor air quality. I would totally concur with that, but you didn't ask me the same question you just answered. That wasn't fair. Uh, what's a good indoor air quality? What would you? Yeah. What would? You, what's the one thing you would tell people? That's, well, what, no, that's no, one thing no, I would this, tell people. What, what I okay, would go do ahead, is, go ahead. Bob. No, it's okay. It's okay. I, I I concur with everything you just said, so I'm not. I'm, I don't need to restate it. Okay. We're in agreement, but you, have but you have something you want to add to it. Go ahead. No, I actually don't. Well, you, you know, yeah, no, I do. The one thing, the one thing, and this is one of the reasons that we created this magazine years ago, and you know, we're launching the community and doing all this stuff, is because there still isn't a great amount of credible information readily available people could rely on and go out and get information. And that's really, I think, that's the, you know, whether you're a residential consumer or a commercial consumer, and we're all one tier or another. We all fit into to, you know, maybe both of those categories at some level. Um, it's incumbent upon you to try to become an informed decision maker. And, and it's hard because, it's, but that's something you really do need to strive to do because you've got to be able to filter somehow through all of the sales jargon. And that's not easy. So we're, one of the things I would say is that we as an organization are trying to help, help you do that. And uh, do we totally achieve it? No, not yet. But we're, we're, we're that's what we're our goal. And that's what we strive towards every day. So try to make that information readily available. And I'm glad you brought that up because you, you are a phenomenal uh, source and you and Susan do a great job with magazine and a variety of other stuff. And I know, you know, the, the few people that are still here, others, you know, search something and you're one of the first things that comes up. So I applaud what you guys do and the fact that it's free. I mean, I, I get this email you know, once a month with a topic that is pertinent. So uh, I appreciate what you guys do and all your efforts. Yeah. And kudos to Susan too. Susan, Susan and I've been, uh, you know, Susan and I've been in the industry forever. Um, she, she has been in the publishing side of the indoor environmental industry since the early nineties. And, and uh, she's really been one of the, one of the leading people in helping get information out via publications and live conferences back in the nineties and the two thousands. So, you know, kudos, kudos to all the work she's done over these years too. Anyway, uh, we're at that time. So Joe, you're closing, closing comment because you're, you're going to want one. Oh, I thought I, I did that, but oh, that was it. Oh, good. That was it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I gave a last, I made you uh, go first and I went second. That's why you're like, I answered differently. So that's so weird. Anyway. Um, well, tell us about Hayward score because you know, you are, you know, that's, it's a free service that, Oh, yeah, and, I, and, and one of the things that you can do to try and determine if your home is impacting your health when we're talking about healthy homes is to go to HaywardScore.com and get your Hayward score. Um, it asks you probably around 80 questions to help you be more aware of your home in terms of how the occupant is, is, understands their home and how it works just by asking questions about their home and gives you some basic advice as to uh, ventilation, chemical storage, and a variety of other stuff. So HaywardScore.com. Uh, is a great resource. Takes you about maybe eight to ten minutes to uh, answer a variety of questions and get your report. So it's a great resource. 
Cool. Um, I'll do the plug for us, Healthy Indoors. Um, so we're, we're a digital media company, global, um, and uh, we uh, our mothership currently is healthyindoors.com. So that's where the magazine uh, resides. Uh, you can get, you could be watching the show, uh, our live shows that we uh, stream and produce are all available there. All the back issues for eight years, uh, almost eight years plus now of Healthy Indoors magazines are available there free just by clicking on the magazine tab. Um, the new thing that we, and we have audio and video pod, podcasts, all that stuff. The new community though, is something uh, I think that it was worth mentioning. We are really close to letting the general public into the community. We've been doing a lot of tire kicking and getting things ready. So the, let me tell you about the community. The community is an online global platform uh, that allows you to actually go to a space where you can interact with other people from your region, from around the planet, you know, other disciplines on the topics, indoor environmental topics. So, you know, it, it's open to uh, anybody um, you can actually become a member of this platform for free. Uh, again, going to the healthyindoors.com site now, if you click on the community tab, you're able to get on the waiting list and we'll let you in. But we also uh, offer a premium level where there'll be some more um, options there. But this is just really going to be a powerful repository and we envision it to be uh, uh, kind of groundbreaking. <laughs> How's that for understating it? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a, it's a it's here's the challenge is there's lots of other building science communities everywhere and places to go and we really feel as though there's there's a missing link for those who are in the indoor air quality or wanting to learn more about it or people came today to kind of find out hey Joe and Bob are going to tell us about what's indoor air quality or what I should do and mm -hmm. the reality is it's a collective knowledge so are we Bob was brave enough to be like let's create a, cl a collective knowledge so if you want to mm -hmm. search radon you're going to get all kinds of people who are telling you what they're doing what not to do. Um, and uh, our goal is that the community will be able to vet those who should not be in that community. So it's, a, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the idea is that it's even more than that in that it's a hub. You know, we were creating a hub for information exchange, networking for all of it, you know, for, for repository of documentation and videos, for training opportunities, and for even live streamed events, online events. I mean, basically everything that falls under the indoor environmental you know, built environment hood uh, really could reside there. So it's, uh, we're pretty excited. So uh, Joe, with that, I really appreciate you uh, joining us this week. And I you know plug again for Joe on the, uh, the healthy indoors after hour show, uh, because uh, of course that's, uh, you know, that's Joe is Joe and I are now uh, co-hosting that show and that show will be on, I think at this point it's the third Tuesday, uh, right? That's what we're shooting for third Tuesday in the month. Uh, Healthy Indoors After Hours will air live uh, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern time um, each month. And that will be more of Envision two guys. Joe and I walk are sitting in the lounge at your uh, pick whatever industry event you might be at. And we're there after the sessions of the day. And now other professionals walk in the door and pull up a chair and we start talking uh, indoor environmental issues. So it's pretty exciting. So uh for the Healthy Indoors live show, uh, Healthy Indoors magazine, and our whole ecosystem. Uh, again, thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next Thursday, uh, same same time here again, uh, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time for the Healthy Indoors live show. And we'll see you in June for uh, the next edition of the Healthy Indoors After Hour show. So, Joe, thanks again. See you, everybody. Thanks again. All right.
everyone, uh, thanks for joining us. And we really enjoyed this discussion. Until next time, I'm your host, Bob Krell. Stay healthy, stay safe. <laughs>